Hi, uh, I received a call about extending my car's warranty. Oh, well, hi, this is Bella with National Dealer Services. So, sir, before I can bring the coverage specialist on the line, I just need to ask, what is the year, make, and the model of the vehicle? Uh, it's a sounded pretty good nice run, so we'll just run with it is it raining at your house right now it's starting to roll in uh it uh was coming in here you know like about 10 15 minutes ago so i ran outside and kind of um hunkered everything down you know covered the motorcycle and covered up the plants and all that shit yeah it's fucking pouring at my house dude I don't know yeah. what it is about my street, man, but I swear I just get like a little bit of rain and like my electricity will go out or start to flicker. I've had issues with this for like a while, especially ever since the, uh, I don't know. I don't know what it is about the grid up here, but it's sensitive, man. They're also doing so much construction up in this part of Austin. So I don't know yeah. what to do with it, but yeah, the fucking grid that I'm on is real sensitive. Yeah, we used to get that a lot down in Harlan, and it didn't take anything to knock uh, um, knock out our power. Like it would just go out like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, good. Oh no, I was gonna say. So <coughs> you're going to ACL this weekend, right? Yeah, I am. That's what's up. Is uh, is Christina gonna go with you? Uh, yeah, I know she's gonna go. I'm not too sure about Saturday. I'm pretty sure she's going to pull out Saturday. Yeah. Um, I I know for a fact she won't go Sunday, which is all right by me because, you know, someone's got to be at home base yeah. to watch Ava and get her ready for school. And I definitely want to catch Duran Duran. 
Um, are you are you gonna go all three days? Are you like do you, are you gonna stay out there like the whole day, all three days, or what's your? Uh, that's the goal. We'll see. We'll we'll see what what the body will tolerate. But yeah, that's the goal. I mean, Saturday is gonna be pretty dope. Uh, you know, I there's definitely some acts on Saturday or Saturday. I think Saturday outside of George Strait is probably the day I'm looking forward to the most. If I'm being honest with you, like um, the lineup for Saturday is pretty nasty. Like there's a uh, Freddie Gibbs um, who I really want to see. Uh, Megan the Stallion I think is playing uh, Saturday you want, night. You want to see Megan the Stallion? Yeah, man, she reminds me a lot of uh, Missy Elliott. Uh, I think she's good. I think she has bars. Um, Excuse okay. me, that's Friday night. And, uh, yeah, Saturday night is uh, Freddie Gibbs, which, you know, I'm... I like Freddie. Freddie would be cool. He's definitely, like, like yeah. a rapper, rapper. Yeah, and uh, The Who is playing. I, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of them, but they're, like... Yeah, of course, man. Yeah, The Who... The, <laughs> you, wait, not The Who, like, from the 60s, The Who H.U., you know who I'm talking about? Oh no! Yeah, so the Who's this—they're um, a real interesting mix of like Mongolian folk music and death metal. Um, it's a really interesting sound. Yeah. So, so uh, I heard from a friend of mine that, um, which I thought was sort of odd, George Strait's headlining Friday. Yeah. So traditionally, in the past. It, like the biggest act on the bill always closed it out on Sundays. So I thought well, that was kind of odd that they let him, they moved him to Friday. I mean, for guys like you and I, children of the 80s, 90s, or whatever, we may be able to point at like George Strait and say he's, you know, he's the thing. But um, I don't know. Considering the crowd, your typical crowd going person of ACL Fest. If you asked them, I would think that they would say that ACL had it right as far as who's closing out the festival, Tyler, the creator. I know he's pretty big with, you know, the younger crowd. Um, and not to say that I don't like him, but, you know. It's just... I think that's going to be a dope show, man. He actually puts on, like, a pretty crazy show from, like, videos I've seen in clubs. <laughs> Yeah, and the idea for me is I'm going to go catch some of Duran Duran. They start at, like... 8 30 um and then i and i may actually even skip over duran duran we'll see what happens i really want to catch tyler the creator though yeah that would be dope yeah and uh no that they put george on friday i thought for sure he was going to be the big like yeah i thought so headliner on yeah. Sunday. but also like the way that they've structured acl like the last few years i mean granted last year was kind of um the exception obviously because they didn't have it but even like a few years prior to last year it's they sort of like they've gotten so many big acts to come that it's like every day is kind of like its own show with its own respective headliner so i don't think they're structuring it to how it used to be where it was like it was always like a build-up yeah saying to like sunday night when it was like you know back when Pearl Jam headlined or back when the Eagles headlined or whatever. Like, it's not 
they're not they're not architecting it like that anymore. Well, and you know, it's kind of interesting that you say that just because like you're right about that. Like the last year I went, Paul McCartney was playing and you would think that, well, he's Paul fucking McCartney. You know what I mean? Like he should be closing the show, but sure enough, they had him going Friday night, you know, it's kind of, kind of weird to me because when, when I started going to ACL fest to your point, like I've only missed like three or four of them when I very first started going, like you're right it was always the big acts that would you know close out the show like the year i went bob dylan was headlining bob dylan closed the show you know it's it's just we eagle <coughs> closed sunday night you know just yeah. just it's weird how they switched it up yeah for sure yeah. um dude i gotta tell you this uh wild story you know like I mean, this, this happens to me like every blue moon. I'm sure it probably does to you too, but random people always like to come up and talk to me. I don't know what it is, but like I, I was at uh, getting the oil changed on my Corvette, uh, I think a couple days ago. And uh, I was there for a while. I was in like the waiting area and um there was this older guy there who was obviously like a painter he was a painter for a living he was dressed like a painter and uh he was like in his 60s had wild hair man and he walked in and had this big personality and at first he seemed cool and like he just starts talking to everybody and i don't know if this guy's drunk or what his deal is and then he starts sits, sits down and starts talking to me and he's like yeah i used to be <laughs> do you remember a band from the 60s and 70s called molly hatchet yeah yeah he was like i used to be one of the guitar players in molly hatchet and uh i knew this guy was completely full of shit um because he like wouldn't give me his i was like asked him i was like oh what's your name you know he's like oh you, <laughs> let me you just know, google you <laughs> yeah he was like he was like uh he's like oh if you look me up, he's like oh you're not gonna find me if you look me up or whatever but uh and then he said he was like uh he lived in florida for a long time and he was really good friends with tom petty and uh because i didn't realize tom petty was from florida and he was like, yeah, you know, me, me and Tom Petty used to be really good friends back in the day. And then he started talking about all this shit, man, about how, like, him and Matthew McConaughey used to hang out. And, uh, like, him and uh, Luke Wilson used to hang out. And just, like, starts going over all these old Austin stories. But I, I, I could kind of catch on over time that he was, like, kind of full of shit. Because this dude's behavior was, like, really erratic, man. Like, he, they were taking a really long time to... He was getting like new tires put on his truck or whatever. And uh, they were taking a really long time and he starts getting real like agitated with the the service manager. And uh, I guess he like accidentally clinched his fist too tight and like broke his own glasses and he like took him outside and like stepped on him. And then he went out where the Bay Area was and started like harassing the guys that were working on his car. Dude, this guy, I don't know if this guy was drunk. And then he started telling me about um oh he was telling me about like all his drug use back in the day and how they used to call cocaine marching powder i've heard of that (laughs) dude this guy was on one man but it was so entertaining at one point i almost like wanted to pull my phone out and start interviewing him for the show (laughs) because i was like this would have been hilarious to get this guy recorded um, I tried to record some of it, but it got drowned out because there was like other people in the area that were talking and I couldn't, I wasn't sitting close enough to him to like really, his voice was like very faint, but 
God, man, I wish you were there to listen to this guy. You would have got a kick out of this guy, man. He was just like, and then he started saying how he has like two Corvettes. And he was like, yeah, you know, he's like, uh, I'm going to be playing at ACL. Like, it was wild, man. The conversation was so off the wall. I think this guy was just completely out of his mind. In other words, yeah, I'm going to be under the bridge fucking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's like, yeah, I used to be one of the guitar players in Molly Hatchet and all this shit. I was just like, wow, man, this is one of these tall tales. But um, it was entertaining nonetheless. But yeah, every once in a while, man, it kind of reminded me of like, uh, I don't know, like you've met people like that before. I was going to reference Marcy a little bit. No, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, but uh, yeah, man. I mean, you know how she was with her stories sometimes. Yeah. But uh, the HBO series is that she apparently had got signed to multiple times. <laughs> every every year, you know, I got signed to a new HBO show. You said that last fucking year, Grandma. I know, but I'm real this time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I remember one time she told us a story about how she, uh, Steve Ray Vaughn used to sleep on her couch. That I believe. Yeah, I guess it's possible. I mean, she she used to own, before she used to own the first bars down on 6th Street, so I mean, that kind of tracks. Yeah. That actually sounds believable, but at for a long time, I thought it was a lie, but now that what what all did she own? Because obviously she was real prominent in like the gay community, and she was involved in a lot of the gay bars. But yeah. like, what what music venues was she involved with? Uh, and, the only one off the top of my head that I know of is Friends and Lovers. Um, I know she owned a bunch of, which was where the Ritz or what used to be the Alamo. Um, used to be, or used to be, whatever. Those big, ugly green doors, I don't know if they're still on there, but Marcy used to swear that those are the original doors she used to have when she, I think she also said that it was once called the UFO when she owned it. And yeah. I don't know. I bet she's got some wild stories, man. She That's does. That's the thing sometimes about, like, when old people, this guy told me he was 68 years old, right? Sometimes, like, when older folks, like, that's the thing. You don't know sometimes if their stories are real or not, but they're, like, entertaining regardless. You know what I'm saying? Like, even if it's complete bullshit, like, the way that they articulate it and tell the story is, like, kind of entertaining, even if it's not real. That's what I've always kind of noticed about, like, when older people tell stories. Well, you know, you you have to take it with a grain of salt. Not to of say course. they're all senile, but there's a lot of senility going on there. You know, fucking in their mind, they they. It wasn't Marilyn Manson that was having it, or Marilyn whatever Monroe that was having an affair. It was me sucking him off under the desk, like you know. Just, <laughs> okay, <laughs> whatever you say. Cool story. It was good. I'll see you later. I don't believe a goddamn word you're saying, but whatever. But yeah, I mean, again, it's like, be that as it may, the story is, the stories are still sort of like, they're so ridiculous that they're entertaining. Like this guy's story. I got trapped by this crackhead on 6th Street one time. It was 
right before the Snoop Dogg concert came up. And this guy was drunk. He was clearly high on some what, sort what of year? shit. What give, year? Give a little more context. Snoop's oh, I can't been give you an exact times. year, but this was like maybe 2006, 2007, somewhere okay. in the late 00s. And I'm standing there and I'm like on Red River or whatever. And this crackhead comes up to me and he's just smelling of fucking malt liquor. And he starts rambling at me and I'm trying to give him the vibe. Like, I'm not the one dude, like, you know, just like real evasive and dodgy and not like trying to engage with them. And all of a sudden he just unleashes on me, you know, I'm Snoop Dogg's father. Right. And I just look at him. And he's, like, <laughs> he's like, it's fucked up. He comes home and he can't even see his own father. And he's like, you know, doing the side profile. He's like, don't I look like him? And I was like, not really. <laughs> he's just like, you don't know shit. You're racist. You think all of us look the same and just like, <laughs> okay. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Back when the worst, the worst thing back that a homeless person would do is just come up to you and like harass you for a dollar and tell you a weird story. <laughs> now they'll like, the scam they used to pull now, back now in the day. Now they'll slit your throat in the alley and like, find, like weird, find, find your address and your wallet and then go kill your whole family. They'd like stand in an empty parking lot or parking spaces downtown and then like wave you in and then expect you to give them like some money because they quote unquote held the parking space open. <laughs> like, fuck out of here. God, I remember that so many times. You remember that one area where we always used to park that was super clutch? It was like 8th and it was always Red like River. that one. Yeah, it was like down by 8th and Red River, like around that area. We always get parking spots. But there would always be homeless people like waving you in. And I'd always feel kind of sketched out, like, man, they're gonna do some shit to the car. But they never fucked with any of the cars, shockingly. And I th- I never gave them money. Yeah, I, I never did either. I always took it as like they were more or less saying, pay me and I won't break into your car. Yeah. And uh I don't know. We called their bluff. Luckily they never, you know. <laughs> yeah. um well yeah man i know i we gotta do a quick rundown of of drake and kanye's albums really quick Uh, we wouldn't be doing the show justice without doing that i know we've had to re-record this segment a few times but yeah certified lover boy um you know drake's gonna do what drake's gonna do when it comes to music he's always gonna kind of incorporate the r&b and the rap together i liked the album it has a lot of replay value for me i was actually jamming it earlier today uh one of his better albums i'd say it's like in the top three for me um but yeah i know we kind of talked about this last time uh to me definitely a a concept project i think it was a lot of like parody he was kind of leaning into the stereotype of like sort of being this promiscuous guy who's successful and has a lot of money and uh i think there was definitely like a parody element to it i think he just kind of ran with it and decided to make a project and I thought he did exactly what he was supposed to do. I enjoyed it. Um, yeah. 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 What were you gonna say? No, I was gonna say me too. I, I thought it was a it was a good album. I think uh, some of the themes get tiresome, but as like someone who really enjoys the art of hip hop, like it's a yeah. good album. Like I I can sit there and listen to Drake spit bars for days. Man, he just has this like real 
I, it, almost hypnotic kind of way of really flowing, like the way he chops down his syllables and his rhymes and the wordplay, obviously, with him is like, you know, yeah, it's top notch. I'd say second to none, but that'd be a little bold. But, you know, he, he's obviously at the top of his class. For sure. I mean, yeah, there's definitely a reason why he's like at the top of of what he does and one of the biggest artists in the world. I think he always finds the thing that makes him great is he's going to kind of appeal to everybody across the spectrum in regards to like rap, hip hop, R&B, whatever you kind of want to call, you know, he's, he's kind of, he's hitting, he's hitting everything on the spectrum essentially. And uh, he does a good job at it, man. I liked a lot of the, I liked a lot of the features. I always enjoy when him and future link up. I feel like they always fucking, make bangers together and uh yeah i always love how he does a little like subtle odes to to houston you know with the og ron c uh sample at the beginning of tsu where they have like the the swisher house like the slowed down voice um yeah i enjoyed that he always kind of incorporates a little bit of that in every project because uh his ties with houston so yeah, I enjoyed it, man. And uh, you know, comparing Drake to to Kanye, obviously they're gonna people are gonna want to compare them because of their history with you know their beef that's been very public for a long time. But then also the albums came out within like a week of each other. But yeah, I you can't compare Drake and Kanye. They're kind of at like different points in their career right now. Donda to me was a great album, but to me it was more like a piece of artwork, you know, like I, I enjoyed it musically. It doesn't have a ton of replay value for me, but um, I know exactly what he was trying to do. Like he was trying to make a masterpiece and I really think that's what he accomplished. Yeah. And you know, I don't, you know, when we first took a run at this little segment, you know, um, I, I, I stand by the initial comment that it's, it's, it's a work of art and, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know if there's a lot of replay value just because the topics, the way he structured, you know, the songs and like how challenging it is to the listener. Like I, I think it's one of those, you listen to it every few months and you have to be in the right mindset, uh, to really absorb it. Yeah. Um, I will say that I think, you know, in retrospect, maybe a little lazy with the promotion. I think at this point, Kanye's more about the show than the uh, actual music itself. Like, if you look at some of the stuff that he's doing to promote it or when he was promoting it, like bringing on Marilyn Manson out to that little studio or album listening party. Yeah. Um, you know, as Marilyn Manson's going through some pretty serious um, accusations, not to get off on that road, but, you know, I think that he just maybe is relying a little more on the spectacle than the music at this point. Yeah, that's fair. You know, they're they running around yeah, in the Marilyn Manson. Yeah, I'm sorry, so what were you saying? Running around in the Marilyn Manson t-shirt last night or whatever at some party. Like, I just think like, it's now more about him grabbing as many eyeballs as he can, you know? 
Yeah. Well, I think I think in a way, you know, there's some there's a little bit of parallel there between Kanye and Marilyn Manson as far as they're uh, they're both like polarizing characters, and they are for two completely different reasons though at this point. No, but I'm saying musically and just yeah. the shock value. There's definitely shock value with Kanye, and there's shock value with Marilyn Manson. But you also could argue Marilyn Manson hasn't really been relative musically in a long time. Like no, he'll, go, he'll, he'll go down as like a legend in his own right, obviously. But I think that you know, wearing the t-shirt, hanging out with them, it's it's shock value, dude. Like you were saying, um, and I think that there's definitely like some relatability there. Like I'm sure Kanye probably feels like, hey, I can kind of relate to this guy because he's kind of an enigma. Like I am, um, but I, I know what you're saying though. It's just like, it's it's just kind of for, for looks for shock, but I, I get why he's doing it. Like, that's that's kind of the way the game is. I mean, Kanye's always been very good at like, you know, sort of tipping the scale, so to speak, or kind of shaking things up for lack of a better term. You know, sometimes I just, I don't know. I think Kanye's kind of lost his damn mind sometimes. Yeah. Well, you know, some people who are, I I think he's brilliant in his own way. You know, he's definitely an artist, and I think he completely embraces that. And, um, you know, a lot of really eccentric people are pretty out there. I mean, historically, a lot of, like, really eccentric artists to musicians have been like that. So it's not surprising to me. Also, I think when you get to be that level of, like, fame, I mean, we saw this kind of unfold with Michael Jackson. You've seen this unfold with lots of very, very super famous people. Um, When you get to be that level of fame, I think it's very hard to almost, like, be normal and live, like, a normal life. So oh, you almost sure. have to like embrace the weirdness because there's no other choice. Like I think it's almost virtually impossible for somebody like that to just like live a normal life. Yeah, what's normal? I that that's exactly that's a fair that's relative. Point. Yeah. So, um yeah, but I mean, you know, musically, I thought he did exactly what he's always done. And uh, he definitely, you know, like you said last time when we talked about it, he's not afraid to experiment and kind not of get the box a little bit. So that's exactly what he did. And uh, yeah, I liked the album. I'm definitely, there's no slight towards the album on, on my part. I thought it was a good project. It's just not something I have a lot of. And I, I was thinking about this too when you were talking. I've never been a huge fan now, granted, back when CDs were still really popular, there's some great double disc albums that rap albums in history that have came out. Tupac's All Eyes on Me, Biggie's Life uh, After Death. Yeah. There's some great double albums that have came out in rap. But now with streaming, because there's not really hard copies that come out anymore. I don't know what it is. I'm just not I've never been a huge fan unless you do it the right way where it's like every single song is a fucking banger, like how All Eyes on Me was or Life After Death. 
I'm not a huge fan of like 20 song rap projects. Like it's hard for me to internalize all the, all the music and really take it all in. And like Donda was too long. See Drake hit it right on the head. Like, I think that was maybe, I don't know, 15 songs somewhere around that. Uh, Maybe even a little, yeah, probably around that. And they're all like pretty good. Like I can listen to that entire project. When you start getting into like 20 songs, it gets a little, it gets a little much for me to process, especially when not every single song is like something I want to listen to. Does that make sense? No, I, I agree with the whole artist. Yeah. So it's just a lot to, it's a lot to take in. And that's what I mean by that was kind of like, (coughs) I feel like Donda was kind of like Kanye's like Mona Lisa, you know? Like, yeah. hey, I'm going to give you this really abstract project. But you also could argue that Yeezus and some of these other projects he's put out that were kind of out there, they're all pretty, those are probably arguably more abstract, but they also weren't as long. But yeah, I mean, Donda was good. Don't get me wrong. I liked it. It's just not, it doesn't have the replay value that Certified Lover Boy has for me. No, I agree. I think, uh, Certified Lover Boy is a whole lot less to digest. Thus, it's like a little more fitting for everyday, you know, just vibing music, I guess is what you can call it, you know? For sure. Just, I don't know. Donda's a really heavy album. Yeah. It it, it takes you to some weird places. Yeah, it is. It's it's something you really kind of have to be in the mood for, you know. Yeah. It's it's a lot to take in, uh, but it's I mean it's brilliant in its own way. I mean I, I always respect Kanye musically. He's oh, for sure, like he's the forefront. Yeah, he Kanye is always gonna you know. Nothing else, you know. He'll always be an artist, for and sure. that that in itself, you know, is like something worth commenting on and respecting just because like he's willing to do some things that like musically that I don't think other artists would be comfortable doing. Um, So, you know, I I always have love for Kanye, um, even if I don't necessarily vibe with him as, as a person these days, but like, as a musician, he's, he's, you know, he'll always have my respect. Yeah. He's talented and he's not afraid to take chances. And that's really what makes, um, great artists. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, yeah, man. Uh, you know, we obviously got to talk about Norm Macdonald a little bit. Um, you know, rest in peace to Norm Macdonald. I know by the time people listen to this, it's going to kind of be old news at this point, but, um, yeah, I mean, we got to talk about it on the show just because obviously he was kind of a big influence on you and I growing up, you know, with his yeah. time on Saturday Night Live. We're both huge fans of the movie Dirty Work. Um, yeah, that was a, that was a tough loss, man. I mean, there's not a lot of like rarely when a celebrity dies do I or somebody who's famous do I kind of feel it, but I definitely felt that one. That one, you know, it's for me. It was kind of like I can actually think of. With, at least within the last like decade, I definitely uh, Prince dying was pretty pretty weird, 
and kind of hard to process. Yeah, that one uh, fucked with me. Um, Scott Weiland or Weiland, I can I can't say his last name correctly, but the Stone Temple Pilots lead singer. That one was hard for me because I was always a huge STP fan. So Chris that one Cornell was, was pretty hard for me. I, I always loved Soundgarden. So yeah, I actually don't. When did he die? I want to say 2017, 2018, something like that. Okay. Yeah, I forgot about that one. Yeah, that's rough too. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Scott Scott Wild Scott Wheeland. I don't even know the fuck. Just you know how to let's say his last name correctly. I think it, I think it's Wyland. Yeah, Scott Wyland was hard, man. But that was probably 2015, 16 around that time. But I remember that, man. That one was rough, just because I actually. And I don't know if you were with me, dude, but I saw STP live. I know we're kind of segueing a little bit, but because um, because we're talking about celebrities, celebrities that have passed that we both were really influenced by. But um, I saw STP in concert in like '04 at uh, Auditorium Shores, and it was fucking sick, man. Like they tore that place down, and uh, yeah, I just have always. Like, as far as, like, hard rock bands, like, kind of that post-grunge era, that they were probably, hands down for me, my favorite 90s, like, hard rock band. Easily. Uh, they were good. I, I, I don't know if I'd say favorite, but um, they were really good. I'm not taking anything away from them. I enjoyed everything. I ever heard from uh, Stone Temple Pilots. I can't say a bad word about them. Um, and that's awesome that you got yeah. to see them. That that yeah. definitely is a bucket list concert right there. Oh, dude, I know. And I think that's why it was even harder for me. Because I was like, fuck, man, that's definitely my generation right there. But yeah, that, that one was hard. And then obviously Kobe. That was just, like, unfathomable. Um, but yeah, yeah. Norm... Um, that was rough. Not on the same degree as Kobe, obviously, but I I was shocked just because I was always like a huge Norm McDonald fan. I know it was probably like a year or two ago. I think like when COVID first started and we were like, you know, everyone was locked down. I really kind of went down this Norm McDonald rabbit hole on YouTube and was watching a lot of stuff. And I remember sending you a lot of videos. He was just funny, man. Like his delivery. It was never really so much like what he said. It was always how he said it, like his voice and his tone and he was just always very monotone and um and obviously Matt, we both were huge fans of dirty work. Yeah, that was a classic movie. Uh and I, I don't think it got the credit that it no. deserved at the time. But I think that in retrospect it's now a cult classic. I was gonna say if it's not a cult classic yet, it damn sure will be now. Yeah, I don't man. think it quite hit cult classic status before Norm passing, but I think it will now, if not in the next couple of years. I I agree. Um, <laughs> I I think it is cult classic, but that that could just be my bias. Well, okay, so <laughs> let's let, what what makes a movie a cult classic? So I'll I'll tell you what I, I think my interpretation is, and then I'll I'm curious to hear yours. I think it's got to be a little bit more aged. So Dirty Work came out in like 98 or 99. I don't know if a movie that relatively recent can really all of a sudden be categorized as cult classic. And maybe I'm completely off with that. But when I think of cult classic, I think of something a little bit more dated than that. 
to me, I don't know if I necessarily define it by age. I think it's more of movies that were panned at the time of release, such as Dirty Work, uh, that in retrospect has grown to be appreciated, whether it be, you know, um, tongue-in-cheek or, you know, people actually genuinely enjoying whatever, you know, the movie was going after. And I think in that regard, um, it qualifies. I mean, I, yeah. I think that a lot of people, when it first came out, just wrote it off as, you know, the stupid 90s movie, which, like, not to defend, say it's not, it definitely is in that that genre but you know at the same time it's a whole lot funnier than i think uh people initially gave it yeah. credit for yeah there was a lot of funny motherfuckers in that movie dude i mean chris farley i love Artie lang i think he's super underrated um Artie lang's hysterical um obviously norm and then there was like wasn't i think chevy chase had a cameo in it or was yeah it... as a doctor yeah yeah there was always like there was some that was a solid movie, man. Did Adam Sandler have like a small cameo in that? I can't remember. I, I don't remember either. Um, I think he had some kind of involvement in that movie, though. I don't know if he like was one of the producers or, or what. But yeah, man. I mean, that was easily. Um, you know what other Norm Macdonald movie I haven't seen all the way through, and I kind of want to revisit it. But I think it may have been pretty bad. And I've seen it on Netflix a couple times, but I want to watch it all the way through with Screwed with him and Dave Chappelle. I haven't seen that. You haven't? No. Yeah. I've pretty- seen it on Netflix, but I've never watched it. I haven't watched it all the way through. I've seen parts of it, but I kind of want to revisit that. Because obviously, like Dave, of course, you know. Yeah, Dave is go. Doesn't need any introduction, of <laughs> obviously. <laughs> If you if you were born before 1990, you don't need to be advised who he is. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, shit, man. Even like people who are like in their 20s know who Dave Chappelle is. Fair so, enough. Um, but yeah, I mean that that seems like an interesting duo to me. So I'd like to kind of maybe re- I need to revisit that movie because that actually came out after Dirty Work. But that I think that movie like really flopped. And I don't think it ever really got like any kind of recognition. It's actually yeah. odd that that movie was on Netflix even prior to uh, McDonald passing away. I could see how it would be released now. And I don't know if I've ever actually seen Dirty Work on Netflix, but I have a feeling they'll probably find a way to get that on there at this point. Yeah, you know, I'm surprised actually because I've never seen it on there too. I've seen it on Hulu, but I haven't seen it on Netflix. Yeah. So it's interesting that it hasn't been on Netflix now that you're pointing that out because they've put everyone else in that circle and their movies, you know, on there. I can't tell you how many times I've seen Billy Madison or Happy Gilmore or fucking all the and the Farley movies or yeah, it just seems like they kind of glossed over Norm Macdonald a little bit. Yeah, I'm dude. Nothing will top the '90s like slapstick comedy shit to me. Like I was watching like Dumb and Dumber the other day. Like that movie will just forever, did timeless. 
that that will just transcend generations to me. They just the movies aren't like how they used to be, man. I think I don't know if it's because the actors have gotten worse, and a lot of these guys who were real big in the '90s are they've obviously they're a lot older now, and they're not really making movies like they used to be. But um, yeah, I just some of the stuff that comes out now, I just don't even watch because I'm just like I know I'm going to be either highly disappointed or it's just almost not even worth my time. Like I don't watch a lot of these like Netflix originals that come out now with. You know, like, obviously, there's a couple guys, like, I know Sandler has, like, a big Netflix deal, and he's released a lot of movies on Netflix. I've caught, like, a few of them, and they're not bad, but it's just weird because they're missing a lot of, like, I think what made a lot of Adam's movies funny in the 90s is because he had a lot of his counterparts in them. You know what I mean? Like, it was, like, either Norm MacDonald was in them or Chris Farley. Like, it was, like, a lot of the other guys from Saturday, Saturday Night Live that would like have cameos or be in the movies too. But now with some of these like Netflix movies he's doing, it's like, it's like him and like Jennifer Aniston or something. And it's like, you know, I don't really want to see like, I don't know. It's just a weird element for me. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You're, you're spot on as far as, I don't think Adam Sandler is standalone funny, you know, ever heard in your life. So. Yeah, I, I think Norm was arguably, maybe, and this is just my opinion, but as far as delivery goes and how something is said, half of what made Norm McDonald funny was not so much what he was saying, it's how he said it that made him so genius. It was like he had this fucking hyper level of sarcasm, you know, and which made him just hysterical. And his delivery is really what made him funny. He just had this like tone in his voice and the subtle way of saying things that, yeah, I mean, just made him a comic genius as far as I'm concerned. And uh, yeah, I mean, now that kind of circling back to dirty work, I mean, it's it's kind of sad to think that uh you know farley that was i believe farley's last movie uh no it was almost two heroes but i think this uh ranks in at second someone i'm sure out there will fact check this on that if we're wrong but um i don't think i've actually seen almost heroes oddly enough that's i haven't either um (laughs) i didn't i if that wasn't chris farley's last movie it was definitely like one of the last two yeah so and Chris didn't even really have, like, a big role in Dirty Work. He had, like, kind of a recurring cameo. He wasn't in it very much. But, yeah, I mean, he was hysterical in that in that fucking movie. Yeah. Time to pay the fiddler, whore! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, those scenes are always going to, you know, they're always going to hold a special place, you know, just as he's fucking sitting at the bar and he just turns around, you bastard yeah. Like, yeah he he's great that's another one i could spend a whole lot of time expanding on but uh you know it's funny because i think the last time i saw norm mcdonald on tv uh it was during david spade's you know short-lived comedy central late night talk show or whatever and he uh it was him kevin nealon uh and Dennis Miller 
which all three of those guys are hysterical. And um, David Spade was sitting there trying to deliver a monologue, uh, you know, like that opening, whatever run of jokes that all late night hosts do. Norm MacDonald was just sitting there on the stage, just sinking him with, you know, sarcastic comment after sarcastic comment. And um, it was hysterical to watch, you know, just to watch him like take down, you know, David Spade's set, you know, without any effort. And that just goes to show like how, how sharp witted that um, Norm MacDonald was, man. And he was obviously, in my opinion, like there are two greats as far as the uh, weekend edition goes. I thought that Chevy Chase was amazing. But Norm MacDonald, you know, he was the only other one that I can look at that did that and go, you know, he was perfect for that role. Um, you, you mean Weekend Update, right? Yeah, Weekend Update, yeah. 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 It's him and Chevy that did it the best, man. And so I don't recollect too much of the Chevy Chase doing that. I may have to get on YouTube and do a little um, retrograding myself and go back and check it out. Oh, that's good uh, shit. Yeah, that was like the 70s era of SNL. Yeah. Right? That's like when Eddie Murphy was on and Steve Martin. and uh, Steve... No. Well, Steve, Steve Martin was on SNL, correct? Yeah, he was. But yeah. that wasn't the Eddie Murphy years. That was uh, John Belushi, uh, Dan Aykroyd, that whole group. Yeah, but Eddie, Eddie also was on around the same time Dan Aykroyd was, too. In fact, that's how they knew each other. When right. They... Well, they caught each other at the tail ends because okay. – uh, Eddie Murphy came on in the 80s, like early 80s. That's how he got his start. Okay. Yeah. So Chase doing the weekend update was 70s or 80s then? 70s. 70s, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, and, you know, to say the others were bad would be unfair. They're, you know, uh, Dennis Miller did it. I'm a big fan of Dennis Miller, but, you know, I, I just – Norm McDonald doing Weekend Update was amazing. Yeah, he um, killed it. Yeah, he did. They, to me, he was the best. Yeah. So I, did you I ever really see that? Did you ever see that one clip? And if you haven't, man, you got to get on YouTube and see it. It's so fucking hysterical, man. And I just this wouldn't fly this day and age. I just don't even think they would even like high level politicians. I don't think would even put themselves in these positions. But there was some kind of. This is like when Clinton was president. And uh, like in the 90s, they were at some like, I don't know, some kind of foundation thing where there was this big dinner and Norm went up there and did like a bit. And he was just like ragging on all the politicians. If you haven't seen it, man, it's just, it's absolutely hysterical. I think I've heard of it. I, I think I've seen it, but I'll have to go back. And- yeah, dude, it's 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 worth watching. Like it's on YouTube and it's just in that moment, you just see norm mcdonald's brilliance man like just to go up there and be able to do that in front of the most arguably the most powerful people in the world i mean that just takes some fucking balls but he he just murdered it and he had everybody laughing hysterically you know yeah it's great to watch those sort of things happen i forget who did it with bush but i remember someone destroying well bush too anyways but uh Someone from, uh, I want to say maybe John Stewart, but someone just completely obliterating Bush. And like the, the reaction on his face was just like, you could tell he was livid. He was just like bright beat red. It's, yeah. it's always great to see like a com- comedian 
you know, and to your point, it doesn't happen that often because <laughs> politicians know better at this point, but it's always funny to catch a, a comedian being able to catch someone like, oh yeah, in, in position and just completely excoriate them. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, I want to say like, uh, Larry King was at the dinner. You remember the old CNN? Yeah. Anchor? He was there and he was joking about how, um, because, I mean, Larry King, I think, was married and divorced, I want to say, like, seven or eight times. It was something crazy like that. And he was he was he was ragging on Larry King. He was like, oh, there's a waitress right there. And it turns out Larry King also asked her to marry him. Like, it's just (laughs) hilarious, dude. The whole thing is. And Bill Clinton is like laughing hysterical through the whole thing. Like, it's. It's it's just brilliant, man. You gotta take some time out and go watch it. In fact, I'll probably watch it whenever we wrap up the show. It's 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 pretty it's pretty hilarious. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, yeah. you know, he's one of those rare comedians that could probably get away with that and like if it, like completely bury someone like that and like walk away not truly offending anyone just because his delivery was so over the top that you know it's like there's no way he could take him seriously. His just his approach, you know, he could say anything in the world and it could be the most serious thing in the world. And just the way that he phrased it, his vocal inflection, it was automatically hysterical, you know? Yeah. He had that draw like that, that hey, and then just like kind of followed up with like, you know, just completely flat delivery and it killed every time. Yeah, I always like Norm because he'd always do the hey man. Hey. hey man he, he would talk really slow like that but then he'd end up just saying something completely ridiculous afterwards yeah yeah he uh he'll yeah, be missed man and you yeah. know he i i think that he definitely had an influence on a lot of uh you know comedians that are big these days i think that it, you know his impact was felt you know across multiple generations whether the people who are consuming it or not are aware of it. I, you know, I think his imprint on comedy will be felt for a long while. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, the fact that he, he had, he was battling cancer for nine years and like, he, it wasn't like publicized. I think he's like a very Norm McDonald thing in a way that, he, he was kind of a guy that I don't think really wanted the attention from that, nor did he want people to really feel sorry for him. And I'm sure maybe some people in his close circle knew about it. But yeah, I mean, I had no idea. and I don't think anybody did that he had been this had been kind of an ongoing thing for a while dealing with. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, shit, he's somebody that'll be missed. He will. And, you know, that's uh I think to your point, he, he seemed to be a very private person. He did his thing, yeah. but, you know, you didn't hear too much about his personal life. And I don't know whether that's by design or he was just that boring of a person. No one bothered to ask. Yeah, probably, probably both. Probably yeah. both, if I had to guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's, uh, we'll talk about UT football a little bit, you know, um, <laughs> Steve Sarkinson, I know we kind of touched on this the last time we spoke, but uh, I think that that was kind of a strange coach hire, especially when you're talking about 
University of Texas football, um, which is it always seems to be like in theory, it's always talked about as like one of the most sought out prominent head coaching jobs in college football. And it just seems like kind of an odd hire to me. Um, I think it'll be a three and done kind of like it was with coach strong and um, or Charlie strong, I should say. And then, you know, Herman Edward or what was it? Tom Herman, excuse me. I think it'll probably be kind of the same uh, recurring theme that happened with those guys. I, I think, Texas is an impatient program. I think that the boosters want to win now. Uh, I think they're very much into expedient pleasure and instant gratification. We've seen this play out since Mac Brown has left the program. I don't really envision them shit. I mean, Sark, Sarkinson may even get a shorter leash. I mean, if they end up stinking it up the next couple of years, he may even be out of there in two years instead of three worst case scenario. But uh, it was kind of a strange hire to me. I don't really envision that panning out well long term. I don't either. I think that uh, you see it in college ball, and I think you see it in the NFL uh, programs and uh, whatever you want to call them, NFL teams. Franchises have this tendency – to suck up Bill Belichick and Nick Saban disciples, and it never hardly ever pans out. Um, take your choice. Josh McDaniels, Matt Patricia, Lane Kiffin. Uh, I, you know, uh, wasn't it? Um, I forget who else came out of Bama as their OC that got hired and then it didn't pan out. Well, I think it's... ironically enough, I was telling you this the last time we talked. I think uh, Tom Herman's actually on their coaching staff. Now, I want to say he's like an assistant offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks coach, which yeah. good for him, man. I mean, in a strange way, that's kind of like his vindication, you know, like, hey, Texas fired me, but then I'm just going to go play for Saban. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's not really a demotion in the college football world. Like, oh no, I not... might win a few rings, right? Yeah. Well, it's to me that's like a that's like a pit. Like, going to Bama and being the OC is kind of like a pit stop. Like, you go there. It, it, that's what happened with Lane. Lane went there for a year or two. Ended up going and playing for. Uh, I want to say it was. Florida Atlantic for a couple years after that and now and he killed it when he was there and now he's the old miss head coach good for him in fact I actually was thinking about this when we got off the phone last time I think Lane Kiffin would have been a good hire for Texas no don't I think that guy's uh I think his first stop after Bama was Tennessee if I recall correctly he was at Uh, Tennessee before Bama Okay, and that was a flaming car wreck, wasn't it? Something happened. I I don't want to I don't want to put out false information. I think he either he got I think he was only there for a year and he bounced. Like he went to the Raiders. Like he fell he, on he, some personal troubles or something. I don't know. It had something to do with he went to Tennessee and then he went to Oakland. He went back up to the NFL. Left the NFL. I, I I'm sure I'm screwing the timeline up right now, but um after Bama, he got the head coaching job, I believe, at Florida Atlantic. Or maybe he was at Florida Atlantic a couple of years before Bama. We don't have this stuff in front of us, so apologize anybody listening. Uh, 
but that's what Google's for. So <laughs> people can go well, fact check that stuff. But yeah, anyway, I what I'm what I'm more or less trying to say is you go to Bama, you play under Saban for a couple of years as a coach, and then somebody from the NFL or another head coaching position seeks you out, essentially, you know. But working for Saban, like having a coaching position under Saban is so revered and sought out that like, that's not really a demotion, like being an assistant coach under Nick Saban. Fuck man. That's practically like having a head coaching job in college football. I mean, it's because you're going to, you're getting the same notoriety more or less. You're getting the same exposure. You're playing nationally televised games. Um, and that's why we've got, with these coaches go and play for Saban for a year or two. Sark is a good example of this. You know, because then he didn't he play under. Yeah, he was the Alabama. OC, uh, OC, yeah, he was the he? Alabama OC. He... That's a good example. Mm-hmm. Like he was there for a year or two after Kiffin and got the job. I just like Lane Kiffin as a person. I don't think he's like a, I think he's like a good coach. And I think he would have been probably a better to me. Lane is like a Tom Herman, but better. And I think that he would have been a little bit more. Uh, suitable for that position, just in my opinion. I I have this theory that any franchise or college program should stay away from any sort of offensive coordinator that came from Belichick or Saban. I think it's easier when you're coaching alongside either one of those guys to look a whole lot better than you are. And I think that bears out. Like, I think if you look at Lane Kiffin, you know, he was leading one of the top-ranked college offenses while he was there uh, at Bama. Comes nowhere near it after leaving Bama. Uh, Sark, the jury's out, but it doesn't look great. Uh, His offense doesn't look anywhere near as potent as what Bama did last year. Um, I, I tend to think that those two specific coaches do so much that it's easy to look like you're a genius under either one of those guys. Yeah. I think you're you're right. Sark's going to be three and done at best. Um, I think the coaching carousel in Texas is nowhere near done. I don't know who's out there that, I don't see very many coaches out there that scream, you know, hire me. Um, Urban Meyer might be free after this season. Uh, You know, maybe Bob Stoops, but I I don't really know who they would go after at this point. You know, it's funny. We were talking about Bob Stoops the last time we recorded. And did you see how he like trolled? Because I guess I didn't realize this about Bob is he's also he's like a Fox commentator now. Yeah, and uh, before Oklahoma's most recent game, I think he was at the stadium, and he did the whole like he he started to chant with the crowd like Texas sucks. So that kind of killed any theory in my mind about. Oh yeah, uh, there's no way he's proud that he was the coach at Oklahoma. Uh, and I don't think we'll ever see him coaching again. I think that he left his career exactly how he wanted it. It was perfect for him to walk away as the coach of 
Oklahoma, and I don't think he wants yeah. any other part of any other team at this point. How crazy would that be if they just like threw an open checkbook at like Lincoln Riley? Uh, you know what would happen? Oklahoma would just double down and pay him more money. I'm think, trying to think of who would actually – what's a big name out there that they would actually maybe go after? You know, I, I think Texas has Texas has the money and has the capability to go after an NFL head coach. But are they going to do it? That's the problem. Are they going to pull the trigger and actually well, what put their money Well, what NFL out? coach wants to go down into college, you know? They do I, it all the time. They do it now, man. Like, we kind of talked about this, but it's like college football now is bigger than it ever has been in history. There's so much money in it now. It's more or less like the minor leagues for the NFL. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, no, it's they, definitely the farm league. Yeah, and there, some of these college coaches are getting the same salaries that some of these NFL coaches. Like Nick Saban makes more money than like half the head coaches in the NFL do. Like the money's there. It's just like 30-year-old men that maybe – don't care as much because they're just getting paid to play or do you want to coach 18 19 year olds that are actually out there because they want to ball out and play for their school like it's you know like granted it's like yeah you're at the pinnacle of coaching when you're an nfl head coach yeah that's you're dealing with grown men you're dealing with grown men and bigger in, in ego you know what i'm saying as opposed to going and coaching kids but i don't know like Here's a good example of this. Jim Harbaugh, the Michigan head coach. Right. People forget Jim Harbaugh took the 49ers to a fucking Super Bowl when Kaepernick was there in like 2012 Mm. when they played the Ravens. Like Jim Harbaugh is a Super Bowl coach and probably could have stayed in the NFL. He went to his alma mater and became Michigan's head coach. Like, and I think Jim Harbaugh is a good coach. I think Jim Harbaugh could be a head coach in the NFL right now if he really wanted to be. I do too. Um, name recognition alone. Uh, I think yeah. That his track record at Michigan ain't been so great. Not I, great, but I mean, yeah. he's, they've gotten better. I'd say Michigan's gotten better the last couple of years. Definitely was a slow burn in the beginning. All Michigan football cares about is do you, can you beat Ohio State? That's that's like one of the biggest rivalries in college football. It's kind of it's equivalent to Texas, Oklahoma. Yeah. That's all they care about. Like, can you beat Ohio State? And I don't know if they have the last couple of years. They haven't. Yeah, no. I, I have a friend uh, who's from Michigan and uh I get to hear about it all the time. Um and no, I mean they haven't, and I think that Harbaugh um you know, I, I can't down him too much. I think that you're kind of wrong about that's the only thing Michigan expects. I think that if I recall, if I recall correctly, Michigan's won the most national titles of any NCAA team since they've started doing the national championship game. Uh, and I think the Michigan fan base is itching to get back to that. And I'm I thought sure. it was Bama. Are you sure it's still Michigan? We'll have to. Uh, yeah, you'll have to double check that. But I mean, Bama may have passed them. And if they have, it's recently because uh, they were holding that distinction for a long while. I think Michigan's itching to get back there. And I think that's what's eventually going to end up doing Harbaugh in at Michigan. I think that. 
if he doesn't produce a title soon, you know, he's going to be in hot water or at least start messing with it at least, you know, getting into the playoffs. Yeah. Um, but, you know, getting kind of sidetracked there, to your point, I, I, I just think that Sark, um, I don't know, man. Yeah, I, it's, it's really hard to see him getting there. Like, how in the hell, like, you're, you're telling me that I'm supposed to feel good about a coach who put someone like Hudson Card in over Casey Thompson when Casey Thompson is clearly the better quarterback? Like, that that that's that's really suspect, man. Because well, that's why they made the switch, right? The right. Game. Well, it took yeah. you that long. I mean, Casey Thompson balled out well, in that bowl game, and then you know, yeah. But Sark wasn't the coach at the time. I mean, it didn't really take them that long. It took them. What it took is them getting annihilated by Arkansas. Right. Isn't you know that I mean? in itself an ugly move? Like you spend all off season talking about cards are guy, cards are guy, and then you get thumped and you yank him and you put Casey Thompson in. Like I don't think Clark had a choice, man. I think again, this is this is the thing about the Texas head coaching position. You are under so much scrutiny and the pressure and the expectations are so high that Sark immediately had to make that. When you get when you get blown out by Arkansas, arguably the worst team in the SEC. Uh, you get blown out, you know, in a primetime game like that at home. It wasn't uh, yeah. at home. They played at uh, Arkansas. Oh, they did? Okay. Yeah. My bad. Um, when you get blown out like that, um, yeah, you don't, you don't have much of a choice. Well, my point is that Card should have never been there, and... I would have played Casey Thompson, like, got the experience B, you know, why are you throwing Hudson Card, this redshirt freshman, out into, you know, trial, you know, live fire when you have this quarterback who, what you've seen, and yeah, you can say, you know, he wasn't there, but he can easily turn on the film and see what the kid did when he was out there. Like, I, I, I just don't think Sark, I don't want to say he's not a good coach, but I think saying he's suspect would be a fair statement. Yeah. Look at what he did at Washington, USC. It ain't great. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sold on the guy by any. Yeah, I don't think he's – I'm not going to go as far as saying he was a bad coach because when he was at Washington, they, they did win. But, again, the Pac-12 is not a strong conference. There's a you know lot I mean? of 500 seasons that he had uh, at Washington. Yeah. There were so, a few of them. I don't think he's like – I'm not going to go as far as saying he's a bad coach because Washington wasn't bad when he was there. But I just – yeah, I think being a head coach in a hyper-competitive conference like the Big 12 go and now going into the SEC, it seems like in the next year or two, I just don't think it's going to translate well. Um, also, you know, Texas, it seems like the expectation, and we kind of talked about this too, is like there's this sort of hangover that's still um, kind of hanging over Texas football from the 2005 national championship when Vince Young was there. 
And I definitely think the expectation is to get back to a national championship. I think that's what the fans want. That's what the school wants. It's what the boosters want. And I just, I don't know how you do that playing in the SEC. Because uh, you're going to have a bunch of like eight, five seasons. You know? If oh, uh, yeah, at first. You know, it's going to be really rough running. Uh, it's going to be hard to break 500 for UT. Uh, coming out, I would say, at least for the first three years, um, I think they're going to struggle hard. Um, I also think this probably, you know, I, I was sitting here looking at it going, well, you know, with the impending, you know, Arch Manning drop into college, this might help. But if I'm, you know, that guy and I'm looking at Texas going into the SEC and I'm watching that game, <laughs> I'm not too sure I want to go to Texas at this point. So it'll be interesting to see what the next four or five years holds for Texas. I'm not too optimistic, to be honest, maybe in the long term, this is a good move. It'll force us to hire better coaching, start recruiting better, all that good stuff. But yeah, I think the landing is going to be rough at first. Yeah. The one thing we forgot to touch on when we spoke last time, I will say the one silver lining in this, and I don't know if this has anything to do with them going to the SEC, I'm sure it probably factored in a little bit. But the Texas-Texas A&M rivalry will be um, brought to surface again. Yeah, that's going to be ugly. I think that that's another game that we're probably going to struggle with, you know, for the first couple of years. A&M, I think, is acclimated to playing SEC ball. Um, I think they're pretty well ranked this year, if I don't – if I'm recalling correctly. Yeah. Um. They have Jimbo Fisher at coach there, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he's he's a he's a great coach. I mean, he's obviously got a track record, like, you know, pretty uh you know, it's pretty hard to beat his record. You know, he's up there in rare air. Um, so I would say the AM Texas Texas fans prepare prepare to lose a few to AM when we uh, start that back up. Yeah, I mean it'll be it'll be fun to see those teams go at it again. It's been it will. So long since they it's been a long man. It's and been since Case McCoy. A... It's been huh? since Case. It's been since Case McCoy, Colt's younger brother, was the quarterback since they played each other. Which fuck, I don't know. What was that eight nine years ago? Yeah. It's been a while. And you know, it's funny growing up for us, like you know, in our generation, that was the, that was a Thanksgiving tradition. Was you know. Eat, eat your Thanksgiving meal, and then directly afterwards it was Texas A&M and Texas. It'll be good to see it again. I think it's good for college ball. And, and I love the fact that Oklahoma's coming with us so we can keep our two major rivalries. And then, yeah, you know, we're reigniting another one with Arkansas, which was another old, long-running yeah. rivalry. It's, it's going to be a good, good time. Southland Conference rivalry back in the day before it became the Big 12. Yep. It'll be good. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see who they replace Texas with in the Big 12. Well, Houston got the bid. So oh, did they? Go. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we talked about that. U of H okay. is going to go to the Big 12, which nice. is – that's been long overdue. That's, the writing's been on the wall with that for a while. 
Uh, I mean, shit, when uh, that's where Tom Herman was before he got the Texas job, and he killed it at U of H. I mean, granted, they didn't play in a super strong conference, but yeah, they they wrecked it. I mean, they had, you know, they ran a spread offense, and mm. they always had really mobile quarterbacks, and they were all over the place. I mean, they were a high scoring team when they were there, so. I think it's just it was unfortunate. like the AAC or something like that, right? No, it was like the Conference USA, one of those smaller college like conferences. Damn. Well, that's but, good, man. I, you know, I'm glad to see that they're replacing it with another Texas team. Although I probably won't watch a lick of a uh, Big Twelve at this point, but uh, well, I probably won't either. <laughs> I think they even said. Uh, I think. Big Green was telling me that Cincinnati got the bid, or was that you? I think since University of Cincinnati is supposed to be coming to the Big Twelve too, and they're actually like pretty highly ranked this year. So who knows? Nice. I'm sure it'll be like uh, pretty competitive still, like within its own conference. But outside of that, it's not going to be anything anybody's going to talk about. I mean, unless the only way Texas gets to another national championship at this point is if somehow the playoff got expanded to eight teams. So they would have to essentially do that to kind of re-architect the college football in a way, to say, hey, we're going to go with eight teams. And then that kind of gives Texas a fighting chance a little bit. But I just, as long as the playoff stays four teams, I don't know how you get past a stacked conference like the SEC. You know, you're not going to beat, you're probably not going to beat Bama and LSU every year. You're probably not going to beat Auburn. Like, there's just a lot of, like, really tough teams in the SEC. Um, the games will be fun to watch, but I just think it's going to be brutal if you're, like, a hardcore Texas fan and you want to see them, like, just coast through and go undefeated. It's just not going to happen. No, it's not. It's a... Uh... Maybe we'll get there someday, but I think for the foreseeable future, there's going to be a lot of heartbreak coming, man. Yeah. I think the first time we have to play Alabama, that's really going to be an exposing, like, what we got <laughs> ourselves into. <laughs> I well, you expect know, that to be ugly. Yeah. Well, you know what's really odd, though, about this move is um, if you look at Texas' schedule – like, because a lot of the times they're they're out of conference games or picked like five years in advance. All right. It, I I think they were supposed to play Bama in an out of conference game either next year or the following year. So I don't know how that works. They're probably going to have to restructure that somehow because if they're going into the SEC, they're going to end up playing Bama anyway. So. It'll yeah. also be interesting to see where in the SEC they land. I know there's SEC West and SEC East, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my guess I'm would be, West. yeah, that would be the guess. And uh, Bama's, what, East? So maybe not as many matchups <laughs> as you would think, but. It'd be like every other year. Yeah. That would play each other. But still, I mean, that's rough. Because, I mean, the years they're not playing Bama you're still going to be playing teams like Florida, LSU. The teams um, that'll still kick the shit out of you. Yeah, I mean, I think Ole Miss probably could put it on Texas right now. Yeah. They, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it pans out, man. I don't see, I don't see like a, I don't, I don't see a playoff bid anytime soon. I don't either. I think, uh, you know, 
Texas fans should keep their beer on standby. It's gonna it's gonna be a long yeah. one. <laughs> it's gonna be a painful one, which yeah. seems counterintuitive for what they really are trying to do, which is get to a national championship. But I don't know. I think if they had just stayed in the Big Twelve, they would have had a better shot of getting into the playoff. I agree, especially with I, I think that that playoff expansion's coming either way. Yeah. So I just think that they should have held Pat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, Zach, I appreciate it as always, dude. This yeah. Is, uh, this is fun. Yeah, man. It's yeah. Good talking to you, yeah. man. We'll catch up soon. All right. Better All right, right. Take care. Trapped in Austin podcast. Thank <laughs> you.